Welcome to the Theological Touchpoints podcast. I'm Julian. The focus for this episode is Touchpoints at the intersection of biblical theology and everyday life. Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says that there are essentially three ways societies justify their morality, three authorities which are ultimately operative in the culture. In the first, morality is based on myth or legend. These are pagan cultures. The example Truman gives is of Sparta, whose laws were thought to have been delivered by the Delphian oracle. The laws and the morality they represented were given authority because they were received from a superhuman source. But as Truman says, though it's not God as some transcendent being who is in charge, it is still a force prior to the natural order and beyond the control of mere men and women. In the second way, morality is based on the revelation of a transcendent being. Religions such as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all fall into this category. Western culture has been largely shaped by the principles of Christianity. Truman says law codes in the West were rooted in the will of God revealed in the Bible. Until modernism and postmodernism, most Westerners saw themselves as ultimately accountable to God, even if they were unbelievers. Transcendent authority normed individual thoughts or preferences. The first and second ways that societies justify their morality are similar in one way. In both ways, men and women see themselves as ultimately subject to an authority outside themselves. They are not self-governing nor self-determining. Rather, they are subject to the dictates of an outside force. They have a moral stability because their foundations lie in something beyond themselves. To put it another way, they do not need to justify themselves by themselves. But in the third way, what Truman calls third world or third culture, cultures do not define morality by referencing a transcendent authority. Rather, they are self-referencing and self-regulating. They define morality by something within themselves. That can be pragmatic, uh, whatever works. It can be consensual, whatever benefits the most people or most commonly, emotional. In the last, what I feel to be true about myself, for example, somebody saying, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. What I feel to be true about myself is considered a more significant referent for what is moral and immoral than any objective standard. Thus, because the seat of authority is emotional and personal rather than objective, it becomes immoral to tell a man who feels like a woman that he cannot undergo surgery to make him appear to be a woman. A third world culture sees him as self-regulating, and thus there's no higher authority beyond himself to tell him what he may and may not do with his body. But my point in introducing you to Truman's work is not to draw from his analysis of the culture, but rather to look at what I believe is a parallel in our churches— Truman traces America's shift from a second-world culture, Christianity as a moral authority, to a third-world culture, where humans are their own authority, with view to understanding the sexual revolution and the current LGBTQ plus trends. It is a move from subjection to an outside authority to self-regulating authority. Put summarily, what the individual feels to be true is seen as more authoritative than any objective, absolute source. While Truman is helpful in understanding shifts in Western culture, I think he also helps us understand issues within our Mennonite culture. 
especially regarding our formation of Christian doctrine. Recent doctrinal controversies over sin, substitutionary atonement, hell, open theism, critical race theory, and so forth reveal that we are losing our understanding of biblical authority. Orthodox beliefs are compromised to make room for other views, other ideas, other interpretations, many of which have been rejected time without number by Christians historically. But in third cultures, authority is within the culture rather than outside it. The seat of epistemology and morality is man himself. What is true and what is right are ultimately determined not by what the Bible says, but by what one believes to be true. And this can be true and often is even within Christian circles. When the seat of authority is oneself, my conviction, my opinion, my experiences, we are operating as a third world culture. Where scripture is used to validate one's preconceived opinions rather than as the authority which shapes one's opinions, we are operating as a third world culture. I believe we have lost our moorings. We've lost our reference point, lost the reflex of checking every truth claim against Scripture. And this happens before the Bible disappears from our lives and churches. The Bible may in reality no longer be our authority, even while we continue to read it and use it in Christian life and worship. The question is not whether or not we are using the Bible. The question is, what is determinative in the final analysis? So we ask the question, if our preconceptions are at odds with biblical revelation, will we change our minds or just dismiss the biblical evidence? Are we actually Bible people or are we just traditionalists who happen to retain some biblical ideas? If we are not allowing our beliefs to be corrected by scripture, we are not truly biblicists. And I believe it's true today, that the Bible is often sidelined even as it is read and preached, long before it's rejected. It's my belief that many of our churches are suffering from a man-centered approach to Scripture, where Scripture is used to validate our ideas, not to form them. In fact, we've become so accustomed to defining truth according to our own ideas that it is impossible to correct faulty theology without causing offense. We think of truth as connected to ourselves and not as connected to an outside authority. Let me explain. If those in a Christian culture see themselves as subject to Scripture in all things, they will be willing to hear from others, even those with whom they disagree, if that interchange will help them grow in their knowledge of Scripture. Their ultimate authority is not personal, but biblical. That's how it ought to be. But if we define the truth according to our own ideas, we take personal offense whenever somebody disagrees with us. In this, we are operating with this third culture mindset, where the authority is what we believe, what we feel personally, not something outside of ourselves. The seat of authority is not extrinsic, but intrinsic, and thus we feel personally threatened when our ideas are questioned. I believe it is correct to say that 21st century Mennonites operate somewhere between second world and third world cultures. Again, second world where there's a transcendent authority, where God's revelation is the ultimate authority, 
and third world where there's an imminent authority. There's a, an authority within the culture, within the group that is seen as the absolute, as the normative authority to which other authorities must be subject. The trend, it seems, within our culture, within our Mennonite culture, is toward third world thinking, where our experiences, our ideas, our preconceptions, our traditions actually win the day over clear biblical teaching. And so in this, we are more like the world than we think. We see ourselves as nonconformists because we look different and prioritize different things. But in this area, the area of thinking and morality and epistemology, I believe the world's current is pulling us away from biblical fidelity. Let me give a few examples. First of all, our preaching. Many sermons I've heard from fellow Anabaptists are not textually grounded, exegetical, and biblically faithful. They're rather an arrangement of the preacher's own thoughts around the text. But faithful biblical exposition is preaching which takes its form and its content from the sermon text. The main point of the text is to be the main point of the sermon, because what God has said is far more important than anything the preacher has to say. But in many cases, what I hear is the preacher's thoughts foisted upon the text. The biblical text is before us, but the preacher's ideas and not God's are in fact central to the sermon. So yes, the Bible is right in front of us, but the preacher uses it as an accompanying authority, not as the absolute authority. Whatever our lip service may be to the doctrine of biblical authority, the way the Bible is handled in the pulpit reveals what we actually believe. And when the preacher's own opinions are presented as the final authority, or even as an authority alongside Scripture, we are functionally operating as a third culture. In biblical terms, we have rejected Scripture's authority. So this shows up in our preaching. This also shows up in the aforementioned doctrinal issues of our time. Substitutionary atonement, which has historically been understood as essential to the gospel itself, is questioned, mocked, and rejected. But substitutionary atonement is not something the Bible is unclear about. This is not the place to defend the doctrine, but suffice it to say that a diligent study of all of the biblical evidence makes it unquestionably clear that Christ died on the cross in our place and for our sins. This is summarized in 2 Peter 3.24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Those who want to gut the gospel of substitution are in fact in disharmony with the Bible's clear teachings. So sure, ransom theory can spin a great yarn from Matthew 20, 28, where it says the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. But the substance of that theory, of ransom theory, that says that Christ died as a payment to Satan and not as a substitute under the wrath of God, the substance of ransom theory is at odds with the clear teaching of Scripture. The Christus Victor theory is right in saying that Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death, but it is wrong when it indicates that he could do that without dying as our substitute, and there are those among us who want to major on Christ's defeat of sin, Satan, and death while removing any idea of Christ dying as a substitute in our place 
for our sins. It is Christ's substitution in our place for our sins that is his defeat of sin, Satan, and death. So these alternate theories that are increasingly popular in our circles, the Ransom Theory and Christus Victor, these theories can be fit into certain passages of Scripture, but they do not stand when considered against the entire light of biblical revelation. Another issue is our beliefs about hell. Recently, the conditional immortality view, which is a resurrection of the annihilationist view, this view has taken hold in the Anabaptist movement. Again, this issue deserves more space than we have here. If you want more on that, you can reference an article I wrote on it, which is available on the Theological Touchpoints blog, or some previous episodes here in the podcast. If you go back a few months, you'll find a series of podcasts on this issue. But to summarize, conditional immortality is the belief that sinners will cease to exist when they are cast into hell. Immortality, or eternal life, is conditional based on faith. Those who believe live forever. Those who do not believe are destroyed in hell and cease to exist. This is the idea of conditional immortality. And this, like the alternate atonement theories, this can be deduced from parts of Scripture. If we approach it, determined to make it fit with what we would like to believe about hell. So if our ideas, our preferences, our preconceptions are the ultimate authority operatively, then we will approach scripture to validate our opinions, not to have our opinions shaped. And if we approach scripture this way and seek to fit conditional immortality into the text of scripture, it can be done. But when that happens, scripture is not operating as the ultimate authority. Conditional immortality is not compatible with the whole of biblical revelation, nor with two millennia of church history. The fact that we are so easily duped by these faulty doctrines reveals that our Bible knowledge is dreadfully insufficient. Our neglect of scripture, either by not studying it or by refusing to allow it to shape our beliefs, this has left us vulnerable to unbiblical doctrine. And our movement can survive for a time on the momentum of previous generations, those before us who were Bible-minded. But when we ourselves cease examining Scripture and submitting ourselves to it, we jeopardize the faith. When we don't submit to Scripture as the sole authority, the ultimate authority, we open ourselves to various errors. Let me give one more example of how I believe we are drifting toward a third culture mindset. The shift from second culture to third culture is fundamentally a shift from being in submission to God's authority to being our own authority. Another way of thinking about this is that it is a change from God-centered thinking to man-centered thinking. We are becoming more individualistic, and with that, how we understand the Bible is changing. Historically, Christians developed beliefs in community. They had very little access to Scripture outside of the church community, the Christian community. They worshipped together, they heard the Bible preached together, they thought together, they learned together, and they developed doctrine together. And so any one person's interpretation was considered in light of the church community. On the main, beliefs were formed by the group, by the church, and not by isolated individuals. 
But I think that the way we think about this is starting to change. I think it is true today that large shifts in doctrine and practice still happen in the group, not just in individuals, but our mindset concerning truth has become more individualistic. If a person feels strongly about an issue, but is at odds with consensus, he feels free to stick to his conviction rather than consider the wisdom of others. He defers to himself over and above outside authority. When this happens, his normative authority is within himself, not within an outside objective reality. And so again, that's third culture thinking, defining the truth based on what one feels or what one believes, not based on what the Bible actually says. So I'm not saying that Christians should not develop personal convictions. Please don't hear me saying that. What I am saying is that those convictions ought to be developed in community under the authority of God's Word, not by freewheeling individuals who are using the Bible however they please in order to make their own points. Now, I want to clarify, there are times when the individual is correct, even in the midst of majority opposition. Perhaps the quintessential example of this is Luther in the Reformation. We Anabaptists have inherited that heritage, and there are things we would disagree with Luther on, but we are within the heritage of the movement that started with Luther. Luther went toe-to-toe with the Catholic Church over some issues of biblical doctrine and biblical authority, and he was in the minority within the Christian community. But he was in agreement with what the Bible actually teaches, and if you take a broad view of church history, he was in agreement with what the church had historically believed. The Catholic Church had moved away from orthodoxy and had moved away from biblical authority. So there are times that the individual is correct, even in the midst of majority opposition. The challenge is, even today, knowing whether the individual has biblical merit for disagreeing with the community or whether his disagreement is unwarranted. The way this is resolved is by placing Scripture in the position of the ultimate authority. So if it's a question of the opinions or preferences, or if I want to use the word convictions of an individual against the group, and the discussion is, I think, they think, without Scripture as the ultimate authority, we're operating in this third culture way, where we think that some person's ideas, some person's opinions, ought to be seen as normative. But when the individual and the community come together under Scripture, now we have a greater authority, God's authority, by God's divine revelation in Scripture, that authority informs and should resolve the disagreement, where what the Bible actually says is the ultimate authority. Now, that doesn't fully solve the problem. We understand that because it becomes a question then of differing interpretations. The individual may be studying the Bible and interpreting it one way, and the group may be studying the Bible and interpreting it another way. When that happens, at least in that case, everyone is operating under a higher authority to which they are all willingly subject. There is an authority that arbitrates for them. More often, at least in my experience and what I've seen in my short life, the disagreements between Christians center on differences of preference, differences of opinion, differences of experience, And we have a lot of argument, and we have a lot of opinion, and we have a lot of strong feeling, but very little 
opening scripture and asking together, what does the Bible actually say? So when that happens, when the disagreements that happen within Christian communities happen without a reference to scripture and without submission to scripture as the ultimate authority, we're operating as a third culture. Now, it's better if we can move from that kind of disagreement, um, which does not reference scripture as an ultimate, and move to maybe disagreement, but with mutual submission to scripture, then we can move toward a resolution because there's an ultimate authority to which all individuals are willingly subject. And when this happens, there's typically been agreement on the major issues, where the things that are clear in Scripture are the things we need to be clear on, and when Scripture is not clear, then we need to be willing to give grace and try to understand where the other person is at. And even if we disagree with them, we're willing to overlook that disagreement because Scripture has not clearly spoken on maybe that particular issue, what could be determined non-essentials. But where Scripture is clear then we have an absolute authority to which every Christian is required to submit, submitting to the authority of God as revealed in Scripture. The seat of authority in the church is biblical truth and not personal preference. But when the individual and the groups disagree, and maybe they're disagreeing on their interpretation of Scripture, they're both studying Scripture and trying to understand it, but they just can't come to an agreement— That's where Christian history is helpful, or what we would call orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is extremely helpful in breaking the tie. Not that church history or orthodoxy, what the church has historically taught, not that that's an absolute authority, but rather it's a way of answering the question, how have Christians typically understood this? So orthodoxy is not an authority on par with Scripture. It is a secondary authority, but it helps us answer the question, how Christians typically understood this throughout history, so we can figure out whether maybe our own interpretation is out of step, or maybe maybe we are in agreement with what the church has historically said is the truth. Maybe the other individual with whom we disagree is out of line. Orthodoxy can help arbitrate between those disagreements. An individual in disagreement with his own community may be able to pull in other voices from history which support this view. Now, this can be healthy or unhealthy because there are heresies that have been taught time and again and again through history that there are those who who try to pull from that and say, well, Christians have always believed this, even when at the times where the church came together in a council to deal with those issues or to answer the question uh, relating to those doctrines, the church has spoken very clearly against those things. But even with these considerations, with the authority of Scripture and the help of Christian orthodoxy, there's still no way to guarantee a consensus within the community, since we still need to study the Bible and submit to the Bible. But if we approach disagreements with Scripture above us, with witnesses from church history beside us, and with the biblical community around us, we are in a far better place to understand the truth correctly than if we try to work it out by ourselves. More often, though, it seems that we think the individual should be allowed to hold to his personal convictions, even if they are at odds with Scripture and with orthodoxy. So back to the main point. This is third culture thinking, where we think the individual should be allowed to hold his personal conviction, his personal idea, even if it's at odds with Scripture, 
functionally, we're saying that person is a greater authority, at least for himself, than Scripture. And we're denying the fact that Scripture, as God's revelation, actually is the authority over that person. And when that person disagrees with Scripture, or believes something that Scripture does not teach, or believes something that is at odds with the clear teaching of Scripture, or rejects something that Scripture does clearly teach. When we allow that kind of disagreement and, and think it's okay for somebody to believe something that's out of step with clear biblical teaching, that is third culture thinking. The individual is the operative authority, not divine revelation. What is true and what is right are ultimately determined in third culture thinking, not by what the Bible says, but by what one believes to be true. Those who operate this way may use scripture to support their views, but their ultimate authority is not scripture, but rather personal preference. When this is the case, scripture has been removed from its rightful place as the penultimate Christian authority. The authority of Scripture is unquestionably one of the fundamental issues of our time. Other presenting issues, such as those mentioned above, in my judgment, these issues reveal the underlying issue. Issues such as what do we believe about justification? What do we believe about the atonement? What do we believe about hell? What do we believe about salvation? What do we believe about the character of God? The disagreements over these issues and the cracks that are starting to show in our movement along these lines, um, these issues, in my judgment, reveal the underlying issue, and that is we have moved away from Scripture as our ultimate authority. Again, this can show up even while we are reading and using Scripture, if we are not subjecting our opinions and our convictions, and our ideas, and our presuppositions, if we are not subjecting these things to Scripture, we are still operating with ourselves as the ultimate authority. If we operate with Scripture as the authority, when our own ideas are at odds with Scripture, we change what we believe to conform to Scripture. We must, because Scripture is the arbiter of truth. Scripture is the authority. But I'm afraid it's often the case, even within our communities, that though we may reference the Bible when it supports our view and we may use the Bible to validate our opinions, we don't allow it to shape them. And until Scripture is the absolute, unquestioned authority, we still have work to do. What then is the solution? Change begins when we return to the Word of God. We need to read it not to inflate our egos, not to shore up our self-righteousness, not to validate our own perspectives, but rather to be brought closer to the truth and to the God of the truth. So ask yourself, am I regularly allowing Scripture to shape and change my beliefs? When's the last time you had your mind changed by Scripture? The Bible is only truly our authority if we are submitting ourselves to it and allowing ourselves to be changed by it. And let us not only grow personally, let's bring others to the truth. So if you are a preacher, preach the word. If you are a counselor, counsel the word. If you are a father or a mother, teach the word to your children. Whatever your role, the call is the same. Know the word, love the word, teach the word, live the word. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Touchpoints podcast. 
This podcast is a production of Sword and Trumpet Ministries. For more information, visit swordandtrumpet.org slash podcast or theologicaltouchpoints.com slash podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, you can contact us at podcast at theologicaltouchpoints.com. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it.